from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. This is Earth Eats, and I'm your host, Kate Young. And as the blade rotates and the interior cylinder freezes, it begins to turn the ice cream into a wonderful fluffy content that uh, will be established shortly thereafter. This week on the show, let's kick off the summer season with a story about ice cream. Toby Foster talks with Jordan Davis and Elijah Lawson of the Chocolate Moose, Bloomington's classic ice cream stand, and so much more. And we go into the kitchen with Chris Manansala and Maria St. Clair of Panoy Garden Cafe to learn how to make their vegetarian lumpia. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young. First up, producer Toby Foster has a story about a beloved Bloomington institution. Here's Toby. The Chocolate Moose, that's moose spelled M-O-O-S-E, is an ice cream shop and cafe located in Bloomington, Indiana. It has been a staple of the community for decades. I myself have fond memories of waiting in long lines in the parking lot on South Walnut Street for ice cream, or more likely at that time I was getting a moose horn, which is a frozen banana dipped in chocolate and adorned with two candy eyeballs. Some years ago, the iconic wooden hut got sold to a developer, and, as seems to be the case with such locations all across the country, the building and the lot were turned into an apartment building. I know. However you feel about that, though, the Chocolate Moose has continued to make the same ice cream in the same ice cream machine, continued to sell it from a retail space in the first floor of said apartment building, and has adapted by opening a few satellite locations and moving production to a warehouse on the south side of town. They've also maintained their commitment to the local community by continuing to grow their weekly event, Food Truck Friday, where they serve the ice cream and provide the entertainment, and invite local food trucks to come sell lunch and dinner. I visited Director of Operations Jordan Davis and Production Manager Elijah Lawson at their production facility to talk about the history of the business, Food Truck Friday, and, most importantly, the ice cream. My name is Jordan Davis, and I'm the Director of Operations for the Chocolate Moose. It will be uh, nine years in May. So when I started, we were just the stand. We were the tiny little stand right there at Smith & Walnut, and kind of just came on in a, a vague manager role. We didn't know exactly what it would be at the time. I became the GM there, and then when that stand had to be torn down, you know, the new building built, we also right around that time opened up our store in uh, Brown County. Eventually, you know, we start getting GMs for individual stores. I'm kind of overseeing all of them. We just kind of made the title Director of Operations. So pretty much anything and everything we do, uh, I've got some little hand in. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. We date back to 1933. 1933 is when May's Cafe was opened by EJ and Cletus May. It was right there where we're currently at, right at that same intersection, that same block on South Walnut. And then in 1955, their son Doran built the stand that everyone has, you know, kind of came to know and love. That was called the Penguin at the time. Then in the mid-80s, the name changed to the Chocolate Moose. There was some brief change of ownerships, but it stayed kind of in the May family for the most part. Uh, at one point, there was a Penguin on Kirkwood. 
And they also had a shop where Maze Cafe was, which eventually was our production facility at that same location, but outside of the stand. But for the most part, it was the stand from 1955 as the Penguin, changed his name to the Chocolate Moose in the mid 80s. Then in October, the end of October in 2000 and 16 or 17 is when the stand was torn down. Developers kind of came in. You know, Doran, uh, Doran May, who built the stand in 55, his parents had Maze Cafe from the beginning. He was getting up there in years and he's still, still around and uh, in town, but he was our landlord. Our owners had the right of first refusal to purchase the property, but just the amount of money that developers were willing to offer was a lot more than you know we could have done. So developers purchased it, but wanted to make sure that we were able to keep our home, you know, where we had been for so long. They built Urban Station Apartments, made sure we had a retail space at the bottom that we were happy with, worked with them to design everything, make sure we still had a walk-up window, had the garage doors, the patio area. And right around that same time is when we opened our Nashville store. The building used to be a KFC and Taco Bell, and then that it sat empty for like 13 years. And Starbucks had tried to go in there, uh, but this town of Nashville is not keen to chains, so they didn't let them come in. We were fortunate enough to kind of get in, get in there. It's our only store that we have that has a drive-through. We're like the, the, one of the main coffee shops out there. We open early. It has much more of a coffee shop vibe than our Walnut store. And we do a large food menu there as well. We have pulled pork mac and cheese, Cuban sandwiches, buffalo chicken. It's a little higher quality and more wide ranging than the one we have at, at Walnut. But of course we still have our, our homemade Coney dogs and all the other good stuff that you kind of know and love as part of the moose, but just more stuff on top of that. And then we opened up our Indiana Avenue location last spring in 2022. It's a really, really small shop. We opened at 8 a.m. Again, we do full coffee menu there. We partner with Brown County Coffee. They roast a really, really good product. And we're excited to kind of keep building on that store right now. The stand was very seasonal. We didn't want to see the stand go. It was very sad to see it go. You know, you're never going to be able to replicate what that stand had and offered mm -hmm. and that atmosphere. But once it kind of became clear, like, okay, it's going to be torn down. We want to become a little less seasonal. So we were going to have that with the new building there at Walnut, but Brown County was such a, a no-brainer. You know, the next county over, it's such a cool tourist town. Nashville is awesome. It's a great community out there. And by adding coffee, we'd be offering something that people get when you're not getting ice cream. When it's late, when it's at night and it's hot, you're getting ice cream. When it's at morning and it's cold, you're getting coffee. So it was a perfect kind of counterbalance to when we would get busy with ice cream. So it just made a lot of sense to do a coffee and ice cream shop. And it took a couple years to really get rolling at that store. But once the community kind of saw that we were there for good, you know, we're doing a lot of dine and donates, we're sponsoring uh, youth sports teams, just really be embracing the community that Nashville and Brown County is. They started to embrace us back and more that like people come there every year started to have us as part of their regular routine. So it took a few years, but after a while it really picked up and that store is really, really good for us now. Drive through, having a drive through is really great and offers us some opportunities we don't have at the other stores. At this point, I realized I hadn't asked Jordan anything about the ice cream yet, which is kind of the whole reason I came in the first place. We use 14% butterfat, which is about as high quality as it gets. It's a super premium, which is the technical name. There's super premium, premium, different grades of ice cream. So we're a pre super premium ice cream. Everything's made right here in this warehouse where we're at right now on the south side of Bloomington. We used to make it in the building across the parking lot from the stand. And then as that got torn down, we had to shift it down here. And everything from, you know, our events for Food Truck Friday for IU football to the store that's in the Union that RPS runs. 
all the ice cream comes out from this location. But yeah, it's a 14% butterfat, high quality, homemade option, hard packed. We get our mix typically from Prairie Farms. It's like farmer owned and they all kind of go into it. It's a large one, but it, like large company, but we think it's a good company. We'd love to eventually get to the point where, you know, we could go like full organic or full grass fed or, you know, all the different levels that you can get to. But for right now, it's just not feasible for us, but we're, we're really proud of the product offering that we have and it's remained the same. So even when the stand changed, it's still the same machine. It's still the same person. Elijah, who you're going to speak with, has been with the company longer than I have. So he was making it before uh, Justin bought it. And so it's really had that continuity to where it's the same consistency, the same process, you know, the same machine, the same person, the same ingredients. So even though the building changed, you know, the, the, the product's still the same. I wasn't sure exactly what Jordan meant by hard packed. Yeah, well, just that it's, you know, it's scooped. It's not through a machine. It's not soft serve. So we'll use the machine to make it into the tub. But yeah, hard packed ice cream is just the counter to soft serve. Soft serve out of the machine, you put it, it does a swirl. Uh, it's kind of what well, you have at Dairy Queen. And that, uh, just for reference, is like 5% butter fat. Oh, okay. So it's the, the fat content is what makes it, is what makes it different? Yes. Yes and no. So... It's, the, it's kind of how it's produced. So we run it through the machine and then we put it into a hardening cabinet at negative 40 degrees, I think. Elijah could clarify that a little bit more. And that hardens it to the point where, you know, it's, it's scooped. Now I could still run that 14% butter fat through a saucer machine. It's still gonna be sauce serve, but just really, really, really creamy sauce serve. So it's more of just the production method. And do you offer soft serve as well in your oh, stores? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we still you gotta have sauce serve still. For me, it's all about the mood I'm in, you know. But it's we we still have vanilla chocolate twist sauce serve at all of our locations. Our Indian Avenue one hasn't had it over the winter, uh, but we're gonna be bringing it back there as the weather warms up. I asked Jordan about some of the different flavors the chocolate mousse offers. My favorites are Brown County Coffee. So we had that partnership with them to get their product for us to produce the coffee ice cream before we ever did coffee at our stores. So that was a, an easy thing to do when we decided we wanted to do coffee. We already had that relationship, but it's just really rich, full coffee flavor. I like to do a scoop of it with like a scoop of our cheesecake ice cream. Like when we make cheesecake ice cream, it's with sour cream, it's with cream cheese. It's like with the real ingredients that you would use to make a cheesecake. We're just making ice cream. It's not artificial flavoring. We also have our grasshopper, which we're really well known for, the mint Oreo. Uh, Moose chocolate, our namesake, is just our homemade milk chocolate ice cream. We have Moose Dream chocolate Reese cup. You have your fruit flavors, strawberry, black raspberry, lemon custard, blue moon. You have your other rich flavors like sweet cinnamon, butter pecan. Uh, and then our number one above all is cookie dough. Just to clarify a little bit, there are still some flavors that use artificial flavoring and dyes. I was a little confused about that at first. Your ones like your Blue Moon and your Lemon Custard that are like neon colored, okay. those, there's artificial, like, oh. yeah, it's gonna, yeah. Um, I mean, but, nothing, no, there's nothing wrong with No, that. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, um, now, we, we do offer our vegan ice creams that used to be made with coconut milk and now they're made with oat milk, and you're not gonna find any artificial dyes or stuff like that in those. Our Grasshopper, for example, the mint Oreo, it has a green coloring to it, but if you do the vegan option, it's brown because uh, there's no fake dye in there. So if you're trying to avoid specific dyes, stuff like that, uh, we have five different options. We offer the vegan and vegan vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, uh, coffee, and grasshopper. While we're on the topic of ice cream, I was also able to speak to Elijah Lawson. 
He's been in charge of making their ice cream for over a decade, and he gave me a tour of the facility. My name is Elijah Lawson, and I guess my title would be uh, portrayed as a production manager. Here in about a month or two, I'll actually be here for 12 years. And how do I describe that? There's so many facets to the production and facilitation of starting the process to ending the process. I'm involved in every portion of that, actually, and I'm very grateful. Uh, I got started, like I said, about 12 years ago, and I began when they had a smaller shop, and I had a lot of interaction with customers uh, during that time. I got to serve out of the small window uh, there in the box, and that was that was my beginning uh, portions before I began to have enough enough trust in the management to divulge the secrets of how chocolate mousse ice cream is made. It really begins in our state-of-the-art kitchen in here that uh, we've been able to put together uh, over time. It, it took us a couple of years to come up with this facility, but it's offered us uh, great opportunities to expand and yet stay, stay firm to our good quality chocolate mousse ice cream. There's a variety of the fat contents of ice cream out there today, just like there is with your milk. At your regular dairy, if you're buying a half gallon or a gallon of milk, you're looking at your skim milk right you're one percent and two percent well we have a high one of the highest fat contents of ice cream and plus the variety of ingredients that we add really increase that whole mixture to add to uh, the concept of a super premium ice cream i had heard that the chocolate mousse sometimes produces custom flavors for local restaurants and i asked elijah about this as of late, we haven't dealt with a variety of restaurants. In the previous years, though, restaurants did ask for uh, specific flavors that were uh, in tune to some recipes maybe they were looking for uh, during that time. So we have made specific recipes for different restaurants in the Bloomington community, and I believe uh, maybe uh, in the surrounding counties. One of my least favorite, I, I hate to say start off with a least favorite, right? But we dealt with a distillery here in Bloomington, uh, Indiana, and they had a desire to make uh, an ice cream called Moscow Mule. Moscow Mule, that's usually a cocktail made with vodka, ginger beer, and lime. It dealt with a few different ingredients, and we put that together, and you know, it wasn't high on my list, but I think it was popular for the time that they served it. Right, and so it worked out pretty good. We also dealt with a location uh, on the south side of the town uh, called La Point. They had, uh, had a restaurant going for a time and they asked for uh, a flavor called buttercream. And so we put that together, that was another, another concept. You know, throughout the years we've made single flavors for different customers who have, uh, we've tried you know, seasonal ice creams, you know, peach ice cream, key lime pie. There's been a couple of unique flavors that Chocolate Moose has tried throughout the years, but we, we hold true to a, a, a firm list. My favorite, I, uh, I spice it up a little bit. I love our coffee, our Brown County coffee ice cream, but I spice it up with uh, Heath Bar. So I, I blend that together and I guess make what you would call a blizz out of it. And it's delicious. Absolutely. It's, it is. It's incredible. Yeah. I was curious to learn a little bit more about the Chocolate Moose's line of vegan flavors. 
The process was kind of hard to uh, establish in the beginning. We had a, a great previous ice cream maker uh, who came up with a, a solid recipe uh, for the establishment of the vegan line. And, and we went with that for several years. It was, it was very good. And then there was a few distributors who were interested in promoting some additional products to us. And so we ventured outside of our original recipe and, and tried a couple of different lines. And then I believe we've, as of today, successfully settled for a, a new vegan line that's going to be established with a, an oat, oat milk ice cream. And so it's very smooth, very rich ice cream. I think many customers will be satisfied um, with the variety of flavors we have in the vegan line. Even more satisfied with the new mix that we're um, putting out there for everyone to try. Now it was time for a tour of the kitchen. I was surprised to find out that all the ice cream is made in one machine that's not that much larger than an industrial washing machine. So we've entered uh, the production kitchen here, the Chocolate Moose, and it really all begins at the hand washing station. So that really benefits not only me, but the customer and the product that I'm dealing with to be clean from the start to the finish. So we'll start off here and I'll wash my hands. And generally there's buckets that we uh, put our product in and uh, we tend to reuse those. And so what I'll do is I'll walk over here to the sink and begin uh, a fill-up station of uh, some sanitized solution water and a rinsing uh, station. We deal with a, a high-quality sanitation process, so it, it really helps the process go forward smoothly and safely. Once the portion of that is uh, knocked out and finished, then I can really open my eyes to other areas that need to be looked at. So. We just had a order for strawberry half pints. And so we use sliced strawberries, but they come to us frozen. So I'll need to set some products out sometimes to allow them to unthaw. And so uh, now we'll walk over here and we have a, a cooler. I don't know if you want to call it industrial. It's bigger than your average cooler. You're able to walk into it. So we'll walk in here and we have a, a, a variety of our mix. So you had talked about our vegan line of mix and so that comes in items uh, such as can be found within our cooler and so I'll portion out the desired amount that's needed for our specific recipes and I'll uh, then carry that into our kitchen. As I mentioned I've been here a handful of years doing this process so I have a good concept of what the recipes are but we do have a special book that's under lock and key that notes various uh, things of how to step-by-step step open up the wonders of the chocolate mousse. Moving forward, we have our uh, state-of-the-art ice cream batch freezer here. It has two varieties of ice cream that can be performed out of this machine. It's kind of your standard, standard mix ice cream, and then it also will perform a, a gelato function, which is just a, a less a less fatty ice cream per se, uh, more dense and just as delicious as the regular ice cream. So I'd take the portion mix that I took out of the cooler and bring it in here. I would reassure myself that I've closed the door properly and, and made sure that the seals are closed up to, to that degree to where nothing will be leaking out. There's a, a door to the door. You would have to see it to believe it. There's a door to the door. We look at the top of the machine and we note uh, a variety of buttons. You know, most importantly and graciously, they've had one button on the far right of the machine to stand out 
the most, and that's because it stops the machine uh, if necessary. I have had over the years experiences where that has been needed and has really helped save the machine from defect. Now there are two other buttons that will begin the process of the machine which will rotate the blade and also begin the interior cylinder will begin freezing and as the blade rotates and the interior cylinder freezes it begins to turn the ice cream into a wonderful fluffy content that uh, will be established shortly thereafter. Once the ice cream is frozen and complete we don't want the cylinder to continue to freeze the ice cream we want to stop the freezing process as the ice cream is dispensed so there is a button that dispenses it looks like a bucket that is being poured out and that will cut the freezing process of the machine off and continue to whip the ice cream as that ice cream is being whipped we can now look at the door within the door we are going to open this set door within the door and what happens is as the blade within the machine spins the ice cream now has an opportunity to come out and so this special liquid is coming out now in a fluffy consistency into our sanitized buckets which can then appropriately and immediately be fashioned into our hardening cabinet and that hardening cabinet will freeze and establish our ice cream to a firm consistency to where it can be taken to shops and scooped some may say around the world. Bloomington has a large community and so with an open mind Chocolate Moose has touched the world with their ice cream. It's a beautiful thing and we thank you for uh, the many who out there who are purchasing our product. At this point the ice cream may spend only a few hours in the hardening cabinet for the smaller pints and half pints or for the larger buckets closer to a full 24 hours. Now I'm not involved in how the ice cream is frozen I let the freezers do that work. Generally your standard freezer is around zero to maybe a, a negative five uh, if you're lucky. But yes, this one has the, uh, the ability to consistently run at a, a negative uh, 25 degrees. After the ice cream leaves the hardening cabinet, it's sorted into one of two other walk-in freezers. One for the smaller containers and another for the bulk buckets which will be scooped at their stores. You'll take a peek in and you can feel we have a, a strong airflow in here and that's, that's blowing cold, some cold air. And, and so that really, that really helps keep our ice cream cold and it's a, it's a, larger, a larger freezer to where we can hold more. And um, so we've moved from the freezer and we do have uh, one delivery gentleman and, and occasionally he has help throughout the season. And so um, I believe I would kind of get notes from him and he would say, hey, uh, tomorrow we need said amount of ice cream. And then other days, I just have to come in and look at the freezers and really get a concept of what my work day has to offer. One day is never the same as the chocolate mousse, and, and that's a, it's a good thing because no single individual is the same. And so this job offers an opportunity of just a way to look at different flavors of life, and it's a, it's a great thing. That was production manager Elijah Lawson speaking about the process of making ice cream at the Chocolate Moose in Bloomington, Indiana. 
After a short break, I'll speak again with Director of Operations Jordan Davis about how the chocolate mousse continues to foster that sense of community many of us used to feel at their classic downtown ice cream stand. Stick around. Welcome back to Earth Eats. I'm Toby Foster, speaking with Elijah Lawson and Jordan Davis from the Chocolate Moose in Bloomington, Indiana. Both Jordan and Elijah have a passion for their product and for the Bloomington community in general that I really appreciated. I think many longtime Bloomington residents probably mourn the loss of the original Chocolate Moose stand. As I mentioned earlier, it was always a place you could count on seeing a few friends, and it didn't matter if you had to wait in line for 30 minutes because just being outside on a summer night was part of the whole experience. And to be clear, the new downtown Chocolate Moose does still have a walk-up window. But there's just something about being on the sidewalk that's not quite the same as the summer sun beating down on you in an asphalt parking lot even if it is a little bit safer. One way that the Chocolate Moose has continued to support this feeling of community is through their Food Truck Friday events. They've been happening since the old parking lot days, but have really found their footing in a big way now that they've moved to the newly finished Switchyard Park. We started Food Truck Friday back in September of 2014. So I started with Chocolate Moose in May of 14. Our owner, Justin, and I went and did a Bryant Park event with the, the Project School. They had a fundraiser out there, and there was a couple food trucks, and we were selling ice cream way before we had logoed tents and logoed carts. And on the way back, Justin was like, dude, we should get a food cart or a food truck to come set up for lunch, and we can sell dessert and drinks. Because everyone always knew the old stand for our long line, but not for lunch. You know, it was always a dinner, always in the evening. And I was like, dude, what if we called it Food Truck Friday? And we're like, this is great, let's do this, let's try it out. So we had Gimme Some Mo, who was an old food cart, and he came up and set up a couple lunches. Then we really were able to get a hold of a few different trucks and stuff and do our first Food Truck Friday. It was like September 14th or 16th of 2014, and it was like Great White Smoke, Gypsy Moon, Hoosier Doggy, Gimme Some Mo, and like one other. There was like two food carts and three trucks. It was a ton of fun, man. It just grew. I had I couldn't get a hold of the big cheese at all. They were like the big big truck at that time you know and they're still doing great and they heard about it after the first one and got a hold of us we're like we went home like perfect so we started to grow really quick and we had just live bands come out we had dj unique mad dog when mad dog was like first starting she did like a food truck friday for us and then um the velours we had to like the next year the first one like kick it off and it was just such a cool fun community event and then you know, the stand got torn down, so we're like, all right, what do we do with, where do we go? And we were able to use, it was a First United Methodist across from the police station on 3rd Street. They've got that big grass lot in the parking lot. So we did it there, and it grew even more. It was crazy. We're a little closer to the campus, a little closer to downtown. Had a really, really great year there, but weren't able to keep going after that year. They had other plans. So we ended up going to the Herald Times for a year. Had a good year there, but not as good because it's just further away from downtown, not as walkable. But they had a lot of parking and had space and it was really great for them to you know, offer that for us. Then we went up to Dimension Mill across from Upland at the, what's going to be the tech park and did a year there. But it just the visibility wasn't there. Like it was good. We had a solid year. But then we were able to get Switchyard Park had wrapped up its construction and 
you know, got a hold of them, talked to Parks and Rec, and we moved it on down to Switchyard Park. So now we've had two years down there that have been bonkers and just been nuts. And, you know, we've had a ton of food trucks, a ton of people, great bands, free to attend. You can spend as much money or as little money as you'd like and still just kind of soak up the environment. And I just, it never gets old, man. I love it so much. Just like feeling like it's my baby. That sense of pride, I guess, when just so many people are there and enjoying an event that, you know, you kind of came up with and have grown over the years and a lot of hard work have gone into. And most of the hard work is the people that work the trucks. They bust their ass, man. It is, uh, they put long hours in and they deal with some hectic, hectic lines and, and they make it work. You know, the event wouldn't happen without them doing what they do. The thing I just mentioned on on my podcast when we were talking about it and that I tell a lot of people that, you know, Food Truck Fridays are fairly prevalent now, a lot of places, Mm -hmm. but we were like pretty early to the game to where if you type in facebook.com slash food truck Friday, it's the Bloomington one. It's ours. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to be starting back up beginning of April. Switchyard Park will run every single Friday through the end of October, weather permitting. Part of what I've been doing today was getting some bands booked and we're really, really excited for hopefully the best year yet. And... You guys sell ice cream, but that that's it? Or do you do food there as well? We just set up one of our 10 by 10 tents and have some freezer carts and sell ice cream. Rasta Pops is also there, Kona Ice. We're usually the main three dessert options and then the rest are all savory food trucks. The chocolate mousse is much more than, I, I mean, we're part of the community. So many, you know, so many people bring their kids, their grandkids to the chocolate mousse because they grew up going there. Like we're synonymous with Bloomington, you know, even if we grew further past Burn, Brown County, which I don't think is happening anytime soon. But if we did, you like we're, we're Bloomington and we recognize that and what it means to people. And I have parents all the time tell me that their kids never ask for ice cream, that they always ask for chocolate mousse. Like they think chocolate mousse is ice cream, you know? <laughs> That's part of why it's so great to put that on because it's it's a community event that has no barrier of entry. It's it's free to attend and just you see every walk of life there just having a good time, eating, enjoying music, enjoying the weather and it's just to do it every single week too. Yeah, we love it. We're really glad to be associated with it and to put it on. And what's what's the process of finding the food trucks like? Over time, we've kind of, I don't want to say curated a list, but like we just have a list. And um, this is another thing I just talked about where I used to, in the past, just have a group text message thread and send out, okay, who's in this week on Monday? And we're legitimizing it a lot more this year to where people have to apply a month ahead of time to get their slot. You know, we've had Books, Bourbon, and Bacon was a really good truck from Indy that came down, the Rude Radish, who was a vegan truck. They came down like the last week or second to last, and they, they were lined the entire day. Normally, it'll die off a little between lunch and dinner. They were lined the whole day. And I had some really good vegan food. Uh, it was really, And their whole thing was uh, vegan junk food. So it's like mozzarella sticks, fish tacos, quote-unquote burgers, chicken sandwiches, stuff like that. And so it's mostly Bloomington trucks, so it's like a really cool uh, you know, opportunity for someone to go to one place and support 12 local businesses at the same time or however many they want to go to. But we do want to make sure that people don't have to wait too long. That's one of the problems we ran into because of my method of how I was booking the trucks was sometimes there'd be a perfect storm where all these trucks had one-off events and we were left with only like six vendors for a week and a couple thousand people show up and we have very long wait time. So we're going to, it's mostly going to be Bloomington trucks again, but we're going to continue to have trucks from surrounding areas in Indianapolis come down to kind of fill the holes and offer the widest variety of of food for people to enjoy and make sure that they don't have to wait forever. 
don't want to take away from the local trucks because they're what have built it. Like it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for them showing up every week, even on the slow weeks. But yeah, you want to make sure there's also some new stuff coming in and nobody wants to go to Food Truck Friday Hungary and then not be able to eat for an hour. <laughs> and uh, do you feel like it, like you're kind of reaching that balance pretty well? So it was only a couple times last year that it happened, but even in this off season, I've had a hot dog cart reach out, I've had a pizza place reach out, and I, I don't think we're gonna have that issue this year. Great. And do they pay a fee to attend? So we pay Parks and Recreation a weekly fee to rent the park. And then we charge the trucks a fee to, to attend, which usually will end up to be about 10% or less of their sales. And it, it seems to be a good balance to where we can cover the fee for the park. And then also we pay for the band and entertainment. We pay for my labor and organizing it as well as just in the past, we used to set up and tear down a small town with tables and chairs and bring in a dumpster every week and porta pots. And one of the best parts with Switchyard Park is that's already there, the infrastructure's there. So we show up, we do the marketing and organization, but on the day of, we just set up our ice cream tent, make sure the trucks are where they need to be and it's ready to roll. If you can't already tell, Jordan gets really excited about local businesses. So much so that he has his own podcast all about the service industry here in Bloomington. And I have to say, as someone who works in the service industry here, where it's easy to find yourself feeling cynical or on the edge of burning out, I enjoyed talking to someone who has such a sincere enthusiasm for the industry and for the community. Yeah, so that's what I reference is I have a podcast called No Dishes. It covers the local restaurant and bar industry here in Bloomington. I've been an uh, employee or worker in the industry since I was 15. Been in Bloomington for 12 years. Been kind of all over the place at O'Charlie's, Sweetgrass, the Country Club, the Old Yogi's, and then Chocolate Moose for like eight and a half years now. And we also get to work with a ton of restaurants. All my, Almost all my friends are still in the industry. And so it's a really fun for me to just sit down with owners, bartenders, busboys, anybody in the industry. But yeah, it's a fun opportunity for them to come on and just talk shop about what it's like working in the industry, what their restaurant or bar does specifically, what their life experience is like. You know, we just started putting out season four and we added video, so it's on YouTube now. And the first episode was Najee, the owner and do everything at Sofer Cafe. And she is just such an incredible, kind, intelligent human being and just sitting down and talking to her about her passion and making food and just the experience of dining with others. It's so much more than just the food. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I know I've taken up kind of a lot of time now. I feel like we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about. Is there any final thoughts you want to add about the chocolate mousse or about anything that we've talked about? Yeah, just how grateful we are, man, for the Bloomington community, for IU. You know, we're con- we t- pretty much anybody that ever reaches out to us for a, uh, a silent auction or a dining, we're always, we're always participating. We're always wanting to give back and be a part of the community and not just he- be here to bow down to the almighty dollar. You know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're here to have that experience of going out and getting ice cream with your family and having it be the best as poss- it could possibly be. It's a lot of fun, man. I, our staff all the time, I'll tell them, it's like, dude, we're getting people the best part of their day. It's when they're getting ice cream, man. It's the highlight of their day. Like, how could you not be having a good time? I'm grateful to be involved in it. I know the Chocolate Moose as a whole is just grateful for how long we've been around. We're celebrating 90 years this year, if you date back to May's Cafe. Yeah, just looking forward to keep it rolling and just uh, reminding people that, yeah, we're a Bloomington company. You know, you'll have some of these freshmen and sophomores that come in and see our ice cream in the C stores and see multiple locations and one in the union and might think that we're a big chain, but no, we're, we're local. We're Bloomington through and through. Well, well, thanks again for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Toby. 
My guests were Jordan Davis and Elijah Lawson, both longtime staff members at the Chocolate Moose in Bloomington, Indiana. Our conversation took place in early February, and I finally got the chance to visit Food Truck Friday at the end of April, after being out of town for the first one, then having a stomach flu during the second, and then having the third one get canceled due to severe weather. The park was full of people. Over the sound of the generators running, someone played an acoustic guitar while another band was getting set up on the other side of the park. Yeah, um, was it the one with the egg? The adobo. I took my recorder, hoping to get some person-on-the-street clips, but everyone seemed to be having such a good time with friends, eating good food, that I couldn't bring myself to interrupt them. There were about a dozen food trucks set up, and almost all of them had a line. We met up with a friend and each got a few things from different trucks to share. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Fine, how are you? Good. I got some cheese sticks to share. Cheese sticks are food truck journey. My favorite was probably the taquinos from Arepa Burger. They're sort of like Venezuelan mozzarella sticks, served with a delicious green sauce. We also had a falafel sandwich, a bean and cheese arepa, french fries, and of course, some chocolate mousse ice cream. There were a few barbecue options present, as well as the grilled cheese truck that Jordan mentioned, Hanoi Garden Filipino food, which has been featured on Earth Eats in the past, and several options for tacos and burritos. 57! We had a great time and all decided that we ordered too much food, but not quite enough to take any home with us. And I'm excited to go back and try new things throughout the summer. For more information on the Chocolate Moose, Food Truck Friday, or Jordan's podcast, visit eartheats.org. That was Earth Eats producer Toby Foster. After a quick break, we'll talk with the owners of one of the Food Truck Friday vendors, Panoy Garden Cafe. They're sharing their recipe for lumpia, a Filipino spring roll type appetizer. Stay with us. Kate Young here, this is Earth Eats. We're in the kitchen at One World Commissary, where the owners and chefs of Panoy Garden Cafe prepare the food for their pop-up events and catering. They have generously agreed to share the recipe for one of their most popular dishes. Maria St. Clair will be preparing the dish, and Chris Manansala will be cooking it. What are we going to make today? We're making the vegetable lumpia spring rolls. For those who don't know lumpia, it's a lovely fried spring roll type appetizer, often filled with a seasoned chicken or pork mixture. Today we're making vegetarian lumpia. This is one of our best sellers for catering also. We always have a lot of orders for this. Could either of you explain how lumpia is different from a spring roll or an egg roll? I think the difference is the ingredients that we use. And also, is the shape or how you roll it any um, different? It's almost, almost the same as, you know, the others. Okay. 
Yes, mainly really it's just the, the ingredients. What goes into the filling? Okay, so with a vegetable lumpia, you can put any kind of vegetable that you like. This is just the basic. I use cabbage and carrots just because that's what our customers request. This is their favorite, just two main ingredients. So then what do you, what's the first step? Okay, the first step, so I chop the cabbage and the carrots thinly, then I saute it and I just put garlic powder, salt, pepper, that's it. A little bit of the liquid seasoning that came from our country. After that, I let it cool and then I use the, just the regular spring roll wrapper that you can buy. You can buy this in any Asian store. The wrappers are thin, 8-inch square sheets made with wheat and sometimes rice flour. So what I do is I, I prepare it in, long, in a long and thin way, just because we want it like a bite size. So that's how we present it to our customers during our catering. So what we do is I just get just maybe one or two um, tablespoons just to you know make sure that you have enough filling. She arranges the filling in a line down the center of the wrapper. Not too much just enough and then you line them up and then you fold it so one big fold you have to make sure that this is tightened up you tighten up and then you roll it make sure it's not loose. So once in a while, you need to take a grip and then roll it again. And then I use um, sometimes um, water to seal, to seal the, the wrapper or eggs. So I just put a little bit of amount at the edge of the wrapper and then you close it and then smooth it out a little bit more just to make sure it's sealed. And then you freeze this it's much better to freeze it before you fry. It helps if it's frozen. Okay, so there's no closing it at the end. No, no closing at the end. That's what we do, but I have a, a second way to do it. But this time, it's a much bigger egg roll or vegetable roll. This is um, like a diamond shape. This way, you put a little bit more of the filling just in the middle, just like that. And then you close it. You're like bringing that front yeah. corner yeah. up. Yeah, and then same way, you roll it one time, and then here at the edge, you close the edge, the sides. Just making like a triangular shape, and then the other side again, you fold it there. So you sealed the sides already. Then you continue folding until you close the whole wrapper. But of course, you need to seal it with the eggs. Okay, so I see that you've got, that one is a little thicker. A little it's thicker. more like a, what I think of as a spring roll or yes. an egg roll. Yes, so it really depends on how our, our clients want it. If they want it bite size, we prepare it long ways like this, and then we divide it into three. Oh, I see. Once it's cooked, yes, you would cut it. Cooked. Yes, we cut it. And then this one, if they just want something big like this, yeah, that's how I, I make the bigger version. So you'll fry it. And then there's two sauces for this. So if you want the sweet chili sauce, which is like the, um, 
like the normal sauce for spring rolls like lumpia and also I have the the vinegar with onions so this is chopped red onions with vinegar I put a little bit of sugar salt and that's it and so I'm guessing that the vegetarian isn't the typical one that you make what what other kinds of fillings do you make I can put tofu here turnips we also use turnips green beans it really depends on on what kind of vegetables you want to put as filling. And then what about the meat ones? Um, the meat ones, we use the, the ground pork, ground chicken. Soon, we are going to <laughs> do the uh, adobo version of the lumpia. So what is that going to involve? What is that like? The adobo meat, I will just make it as lumpia. So we're still trying that. Okay. So you'll cook the meat like you do yeah, the adobo. Yeah. yeah, and then you'll just yeah. cut it up real small um, to fit it into what, what the... I do I'm gonna dry it a little bit but you know all the seasonings marination is there right. and then once it's dried up then and it's cooled down then I'm gonna put it as a feeling I'm gonna I'm gonna try so many ways on how yeah. so yeah, yeah that's that's our next thing that we're gonna feature yeah. <laughs> so some recipe testing yeah, is, some is ahead testing, yes. <laughs> okay so are we ready to go to the frying stage or do you want to make some more or how do you want to um, do it frying station while Maria was teaching me how to roll lumpia, Chris was heating up oil in the deep fryer. And in case you're wondering, at home, you probably could try using an air fryer. Just brush the outside of the lumpia with oil first and give it a try. Chris and Maria recommend freezing the lumpia first. They tend to hold together better in the fryer. So with this process, normally the lumpia takes like three to four minutes, just depends on the temperature. So for us, we used 400 degrees, so it's like a quick fry. And so you're able to take a fryer like this to your pop-up so that you can fry them on the spot? Yes, because we want to make sure our spring rolls are fresh. Now, once you see the, the golden brown color, then that's it's, it's cooked. Okay. It's for the veggies. But with the meat, like the pork lumpia and chicken lumpia, is way different. That process might take like five minutes because you want the, the meat in there to cook. So for the meat ones, you don't pre-cook the meat that goes in there? No, we don't. Just ground chicken or pork, and then we season them up, and then uh, we wrap it into the lumpia spring rolls, and then we drop it into the fryer. And now we started seeing that brown color. That's how you know it's done, but every time we cook lumpia, we check the temperature first before we give it to the customer because we, we want to make sure that it's on the right temperature. Because sometimes, just because it's a brown color, doesn't mean the inside is cooked. So we make sure that it's cooked. Okay. All right, so which one should I try first? The skinny one? You can do the skinny one, yeah. Okay. I mean, I know they're probably going to taste similar, but... But the skinny one, you know, uh, it has the filling, but the, the big egg rolls one has more filling inside, right. so... Also, it's just a different experience. I think this yeah. is probably a different texture. Yeah, um, a lot of times we cut the long ones into three pieces. That's right. So it's like a bite size. You know, somebody just wants like an appetizer. Mmm. That's so good. Mmm, thank you. I don't want to double dip. 
Yeah, because my first bite was mostly the wrapper, so I gotta get gotta get the second one with the filling. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's so simple, but it all kind of works together to make this really delightful appetizer that is so mm -hmm. crunchy, like the texture is everything. It's just so great. Okay, let me try it with this yes. vinegar onion. That's more of a traditional. Yeah, traditional. Back in the why. Philippines with the vinegar, because that vinegar, it's not just regular vinegar. It's a Filipino brand vinegar. And the way we do the sauce, it's, it's. Uh, it's different. <laughs> I can't explain. It's, it's different, different from like other. Yeah. Places that serves egg rolls. It's yeah. just uh, it's the sauce. Mostly it's the sauce. Yeah, I like that sauce much more actually. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't really like s sweet sauces, mm -hmm. and this is just such yeah, a great contrast. Actually. You know, because sometimes fried things can feel a little mm -hmm. heavy, and I feel like the the vinegar really cuts through mm -hmm. and just makes it more bright mm -hmm. or something. Well, I'm mm hmm. Mm. I love it. I bet all the other flavors are good too, but I just like the simple vegetables. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. Yeah. Also with our vegetable lumpia, this is actually a great pair with the punsit stir-fry noodles mm -hmm. vegetables. So that's like a good pair for like vegetarians. They can only enjoy, I mean, they can enjoy the noodle, rice noodles, and yeah. the vegetable lumpia. Together. Together. So are the vegetarian versions of these dishes, are they not traditional to Filipino food? Oh, they are. They are. They are. Yes. They are. It's not just the Americanized no, version. <laughs> no, no. But in the Philippines, we use more of the bean sprouts. Oh, that would be good. Yes, but as I say, you know, we we ask our customers what uh, what what their their likings are because most of them they don't like sprouts. But I would think bean sprouts would be a good texture yes. in there, though. I would yes, like actually, that. Actually, yes, it yeah. is. Well, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to share it with listeners. Of course. Thank you for thank having you so us. Much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. That was Chris Manansala and Maria St. Clair, the mother-son team behind Pinoy Garden Cafe. We did a full studio interview with Chris where he reflects on what it means for him to share the food of his homeland with the Bloomington community. We'll link to that interview on our website, eartheats.org. We also have a brand new video where Chris assembles a favorite Filipino dessert called Halo Halo. It's colorful, elaborate, and there is nothing else like it. You can find that on YouTube, just search for Earth Eats Halo Halo, and we'll also link to it on our website, eartheats.org. Earth Eats team includes Violet Barron, Aabon Binder, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Abraham Hill, Daniela Richardson, Samantha Schemenauer, Peyton Whaley, and Harvest Public Media. The show is produced and edited by me, Kate Young. Special thanks this week to Jordan Davis, Elijah Lawson, and everyone at the Chocolate Moose, and to Chris Manansala and Maria St. Clair of Pinoy Garden Cafe. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from Universal Production Music. Our executive producer is John Bailey. Mm -hmm.